Well, it was a very hot day. We just emerged from the catacombs in central Rome. The catacombs were where the first century, second century Christians, the early Christians, used to bury their dead. And Maxine said to me, what did you notice about the art down there? I thought, well, I noticed that they'd scratched into the stone an empty cross, an empty tomb, uh, Jonah and the whale, Jesus three days, nights in the belly of the whale. Uh, It's all about the death and resurrection. But the point that Maxine made was, what do you notice when we get up here on the surface? Because when you look around Rome, you're seeing what 2,000 years of tradition adds to the primitive Christianity which you saw down there. Down there, we were looking at first, second century primitive tradition. Up here, we are seeing what 2,000 years adds to that. Now, there is some value, isn't there, going back to the firsts. The solicitors call it precedence. You're looking for precedence. And so you can compare and contrast what we have now with the primitive conviction of the early Christians. And that's one of the values of having sermons on Acts. If you look here in Acts chapter 2 and to 4, you've got the first Christian sermon, the first church, the first apostolic miracle, the first opposition to the church, and the first prayer of the church. Compare and contrast. Let's see how far we've moved. Now, last week, we looked at the first uh, sermon at Pentecost, but today we're going to very briefly look at the first church and then we're going to look, and the first miracle, and then we're going to look more deeply at the first opposition and the prayer. So come with me to chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And here you have the first Christian community, a place of common unity, a community, uh, a place where people come together. And that's emphasised here in our reading. So here we live in Dremoyne. I'm speaking to you from Dremoyne. It's a very densely populated area. Where do you go to meet people? Well, you go to the Bowen Island Bakery. I go down to the bakery opposite Coles at Birkenhead Point. And each morning there's about four or five of us meet down there. That's our village square. Where do you go? Because it's possible, isn't it, to be very lonely, even though this is a densely populated area. Someone wrote on social media, I have 600 friends, but I actually have no friends. And so here is a place of common unity. That's us. Look at verse 36. They have a common conviction as to who Jesus is. God made this Jesus, Peter says, both Lord and Christ. You believe that, I believe that. That's the basis of our common unity. Look at verse 38. No matter whether we're rich or poor, slave or free, no matter what our track record is, we've all come by repentance and baptism, which is just the public mark of repentance. We've put the past life behind us. We've turned away from self-rule to the Lord Jesus. Then look at verse 38 again. We have a common experience. We've had our sins forgiven. Let's, let's move on because none of us have got a track record of which to be proud. But it's forgiven and we've experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit who enlivens us. He quickens our mind. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new conscience, a new worldview. And then look at verse 42. We have a common devotion. This is our common unity. They were devoted to teaching. See, midweek growth groups is not just an incidental. We love to come together to read the word. They were devoted, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of being together 
and to prayers. And then finally, this common unity. Just have a look there at verse 45. It's lovely, isn't it? Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <laughs> it's a great... You know, often you hear people say, hey, we need the book of Acts. We need to do what Acts says. Right here, well, let's pool all our real estate, sell it all up and distribute it so that we're all... Everybody okay with that? Because there's a real generosity here. There's a real open-handedness here in the book of Acts. And it may not be prescriptive, though, we, what we do, but it's highly suggestive, isn't it? So here's a common unity, common conviction, common entry point, common experience, common devotion, common generosity. They were in Christ. They were with one another together. And they were sharing out to the world. So verse 47, Luke sums it up, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's a prototype church. And it's almost as though Luke's saying, come on, compare and contrast. Now let's look at this first apostolic miracle. Have a look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. It's full of irony, isn't it? Acts is a book that's all about movement. It's all about the gospel going from here to here. And yet we meet this man who's not going anywhere. He's totally immobile. Verse 2 tells us that he was lame from birth. Now, just flip over to chapter 4, verse 22, and it tells you in 4.22 that the man who had been healed was over 40 years of age. Now, I remember one year I got an infection in this knee and they put me in hospital in Ashfield and I had this knee elevated for two weeks. And when they let me out of hospital, there's no way I could walk. It was like a block of wood. Two weeks 40 years, 40 years, no muscle tissue, 40 years. He was lame from birth and now he's 40 plus years. And notice in verse 2 we're told that he's by the beautiful gate in the temple. He's anything but a beautiful sight. And that's repeated in verse 10, he's by the beautiful gate. He's a paralysed beggar. But the book of Deuteronomy, the law of Israel, says you're not to have any beggars in the street because the old covenant community was to be an open-handed community. Make sure there's no one reduced to begging. But he was begging at the temple. Go back to chapter 2. If he'd been in the new covenant community, there'd no beggars there because they were an open-handed community. And notice how graphically we are told what happens. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Look at him in the eye. Directed his gaze at him. And he fixed his attention, verse 5, on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I've got no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, notice, and immediately... Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. Leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God. Three times we're told he's walking, two times leaping, two times praising God. And notice, not one need for a physiotherapist. How are you? I'm a bit better. I'm going down to the physio to get some of this and some of that. No, no, immediately, get up and walk in his early 40s. 
what first century medical science couldn't do for this man, Jesus did. What 21st century medical science couldn't do for this man, Jesus did. And Luke wants you to be certain that this happened. How do you explain it? Well, those who are most involved, Peter and John said, it's had nothing to do with us. It's all about Jesus. And notice the miracle does three things. It brings healing to the beggar. It creates non-existent muscle tissue and he walks and leaps. It draws a crowd and whenever there's a crowd in the book of Acts, there's a sermon. And so Peter wants to take the opportunity because he knows the thing that people need more than anything is eternal health. And so the second sermon follows. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Don't look at us, Peter says. This is the work of Jesus. Verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And it's his name by faith in his name that this man has been made strong. Now, what I want to tell you to do, look at verse 19, is repent, verse 19, therefore, and turn again from your sins, and your sins will be blotted out. Repent. Turn away from self-rule to Jesus. Well, there's the sermon. And now let's settle in chapter 4, because the opposition comes up. Many who heard, we're told, and in those days there were 5,000 men alone as well as women and children, but 5,000 men. And there's opposition from the religious hierarchy. Verse 2, they were greatly annoyed. The word actually means they were heavily stirred and they were agitated that these people are getting followers for this Jesus and talking about the resurrection. But their big question is verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? How did you do this miracle? And notice Peter stands up in chapter 4 and he's standing before the Jewish ruling council and Luke says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has uncommon boldness. I want you to know, verse 10, that it's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man walks. The one who has ascended is still active. 2, verse 11, I want you to know that Jesus is no pebble He's no more incidental small stone. He's the great cornerstone of God's purpose. And thirdly, look at verse 12. There is no salvation in anyone else. There is no other name by which we may be saved than through the Lord Jesus. And look at how they respond. Have a look at verse 13. But these blokes are uneducated. They've not been to any college, theological college. They're common And yet they're bold. And yet Luke has told us in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, bold is the opposite of secret. They're plain, they're frank, they're out there. And the religious hierarchy, it's all in place. The religious hierarchy of Judaism, like a great spiritual multinational company, all in place. The Sanhedrin's effective, but they have absolutely no idea what God is doing or saying. And so look at verse 17. They impose a cone of silence. Speak no more to anyone in this name. We don't want the boldness. We'd rather have the silence. 
And so Peter and John respond in verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What do you mean how appalling? Don't you realise that we speak for God? That would have been their thought. No, we'll listen to God and we won't listen to your requirement of silence. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The miracle and the opposition. Now let me put it to you, dear friends. How long will it be? Do you think that in our diverse and tolerant society that we will be allowed to stand up and declare verse 12. I know that there is some litigation already in Australia of men, of people who've stood up publicly and said things like verse 12. There's no light or salvation in Buddhism. There's no light in Hinduism or Islam. There's no light and salvation in New Age and you can't save yourself. There's only one name, and that's the name of Jesus. No one has seen the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me, and if you want to see the Father, you've got to look at me. He's not found anywhere else. How long will it be that we are allowed to say that? Well, the response, verse 23, is instructive. When they were released, they go to their friends. And verse 24, their friends got together and said, hey, there's 5,000 blokes here. Why don't we get a truck convey going? Why don't we get a petition? Why don't we gather together and make a demonstration? Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. They didn't go home. They lifted their voices together. They got together on the green square. And they prayed to God. That's what they did. And notice how they address God. Look at verse 24. They do not say, Heavenly Father, Good Shepherd, Merciful God. They address the Sovereign Lord, the one who made heaven and earth, who is in control of all things. And what do they do? But that they pray the Bible to God. It's God's word. The Holy Spirit gave these words through David, our Father. And they remind God exactly what the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit said. By the Holy Spirit, through David, they reminded God what he said. Look at verse 25. They quote Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. It's a remarkable prayer. Here's the first recorded prayer of the church. What do they do? They gather together, they address the sovereign God, they bring scripture to him. And this is what they say. Listen to this. This is incredible. A thousand years ago, David, by the Holy Spirit, wrote, why is it that the kings of the Philistines Philistines, keep coming against me, King David, the Lord's anointed? A thousand BC. Now, they say, a thousand years later, in the first century AD, They say, it's no longer the Philistine kings. Now who is against the Lord's anointed? It's Herod, verse 27. It's Pontius Pilate. It's the leaders of the Gentiles and Israel. They have updated it. And now, uh, what are they going to do? Verse 28. 
They will do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now who's the anointed? The anointed is no longer King David, the anointed king of Israel. The anointed is no longer king. The the anointed now is King Jesus. So noted Herod and Pontius Pilate are now antagonistic towards King Jesus. And they're going to do exactly what you predetermined will happen, will take place. So verse 29, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, openness, frankness. That's what we want. So we can call people to repent. You sit down with people who are antagonistic. They don't want to hear about Jesus. There's no good fighting them and arguing with them politically. It's no good doing any of that. We must pray for boldness because they'll only be saved through the gospel. And so they must hear or read the gospel. They won't be saved through political argument. Do we pray like the early church? Now, I've written down exactly what I would pray on the basis of the early church. Just listen to this. Follow, if you like, in the Bible. And this is what we ought to pray together. A remarkable prayer. Sovereign Lord... You are the maker of heaven and earth. You've said by the Holy Spirit through David in Psalm 2, why do the nations plot and plan against the Lord and against his anointed? The anointed is no longer King David. The anointed now in 2022 is no longer the Lord Jesus. The anointed is now the body of Christ, the anointed church, you and me, the followers of King Jesus. Oh, it's against Jesus too but it's directly aimed at his anointed people, Christians. For in our time, Lord, we are seeing President Xi of China and President Kim Jong-un of North Korea and many other leaders here in our nation gather against your anointed church, the people of your holy servant Jesus. Now, verse 28, do whatever your hand and your plan are determined should take place. Now, sovereign Lord, look upon their threats and enable your servants in China and in North Korea and in Australia to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand and continue to verify the word shared and preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, do you pray like that? Do you pray for the underground church in China? Do you pray for the tiny underground church Christians in North Korea? On Friday, I spent the whole day in Victoria. Some say the most progressive state in our federation. Did you know that on Thursday, the 17th of February, last Thursday, the Anti-Conversion Act came into effect in Victoria? And it makes it either a civil or criminal offence for certain Christian leaders to stand up and pray certain things in public. Can you imagine that? Do you pray for faithful Christian pastors in Victoria? And it's coming. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. What with? With boldness. Openness. Frankness. Plainness. Plainness. 
All right, just a couple more minutes. Please go with me back to Psalm 2. Let's look more carefully at this psalm, just for a couple of minutes, please. It's on page 841 of your Bibles. Page 841, it's Psalm number 2, Why Do the Nations Rage? And David, the nations are saying, verse 3, let's burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. And David says, well, let's go up to the heavenly war rooms and see how God is affected by this. And he says, verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. We used to go to church at Randwick, which is very close to the University of New South Wales, and we'd have an, often have post-doctorate doctor students there. And I remember one day at morning tea, a guy had his coffee, and he was a doctorate, an expert in what's out there, you know, way up there. And uh, I said to him, now, look, if I took a five-cent piece and I put it into the middle of the Australian continent, and then I went back, Google view, and I looked at that small five-cent piece compared to the whole of the Australian continent, would that be about the size of the earth in the five-cent piece to the whole of the universe? And he said, oh, no, he said, no, it'd be uh, da 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 He said, the, the earth would be one, and the whole of the universe would be 10 to the power of 26. Oh, no, 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 10 to the power of 27, he said. Now, 10 to the power of 27, that's 10 with 27 zeros. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Is that the five-cent piece? He said, no, 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 Austra- the, the earth would be much more like a grain of sand, And the universe would be the continent of Australia. One grain of sand. And here David is telling us, why why does God laugh? Because on this grain of sand, there's a group of kings in the Middle East. And they're shaking their fist against the Lord of the universe. He laughs them to derision. But this is a significant planet. And so he just doesn't do that. Look at verse 10. He says, now, therefore, O you kings, O you presidents, O you premiers, wake up to yourselves. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And verse 9, you be broken with a rod of iron. This is the God who has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, who pleads with the prodigal. And every miracle and every court case in Acts is an opportunity for spirit-empowered witness because God's purpose is that the gospel reach the ends of the earth and that many come to kiss the sun. And they'll only do that as they hear the warning and they come and repent. Don't argue politics. Give them the gospel. Uh, Our son went over to the United States and he went to a church in New York. I said, what's it like? He said, it's great. They're going through a process of re-envisaging. I said, what's that mean? Well, they're getting rid of everything out of the church program that doesn't actually serve the purpose of getting the gospel out to the world from New York City. How healthy that is. Compare and contrast a community of the anointed in Christ together with one another, sharing out to the world. Reminds me a bit of our street fair. When we first joined this church, I was impressed by that. All these people coming, and we were giving them things for free. Now, the day, it may well have seen its day. But what are we going to do now to replace the street fair? What's the new initiative? 
which is going to get us out to the community. We are in Christ. We are with one another together. And now we're sharing out. Compare and contrast a generous common unity, a bold witness, a prayerful togetherness as next Saturday morning. The believers were together. They lifted their voices together in Christ, with one another, out to the world. Boldness. Compare and contrast. It's precedent. Precedent.